Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Man, I'm excited because I am back with a special guest, and this special guest has become somebody that I feel like I had an instant connection with. Um, Just a real inspirational person. If you had seen a previous podcast that came out several weeks back, that is the Adversitology Podcast. And now we're back with Frank McKinney, eight-time best-selling author, where he's going to talk to us about his book, Aspire. I'm going to let him tell you how aspiration and adversity go so well together. Um, but basically, how this book, Aspire, Aspire, works is that you create your own reality. You can alter your DNA and succeed in the business that we're all in. Well, what's that business? It's the business of life. Motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap, Frank says. Inspiration lasts about as long as a sunburn, but aspiration will forever impact your reality and in turn the lives of those you love. Frank, welcome back. Man, I tell you, you and I have had such a good time since that first Adversitology podcast, like you said, about a month or so ago. And then we did our book club. I'm not sure when this will run, either past tense or, or it's still going. The book club, that is, the Adversitology book club which was a first really where I participated in my own book club. You know, a lot of people will take my book and use it as a book for a book club, but I've never been invited to participate in my own book. And it, it was, it's just been the, the best. I really have enjoyed meeting a lot of your people. Some of my people were on uh, in the book club. Uh, so here we're on to the prequel uh, to Adversitology, which is Aspire, exclamation point, how to create your own reality and alter your DNA. So that book came out about two and a half years ago. I worked on it. Was, it's twice as long as Adversitology. It's over 360 pages. Don't let that intimidate you because I've broken it down into five sections, and each section has five short chapters in it. And the, the, the overarching premise when I decided to write it was I, I, began, I began to become a bit concerned about other people allowing so many outside influences to create reality for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike at any other time, like you and I are close to the same age, we didn't have the barrage of outside influences that were molding these realities for us. And now we've got, you know, artificial intelligence coming that's going to do even more uh, good or damage, depending on how you want to see that. And so I, I stepped back and I realized, man, I killed the person I was born to be to become the person I wanted to be. I'm going to repeat that because that, that is, that is, also part of creating your reality and altering your DNA. I won't get into the science of it, Travis, because but there is a science called epigenetics that actually there is proof that you can alter the way you were born. Mm-hmm. But but for me, growing up in Indiana as a corn-fed country boy, going to four high schools in four years, juvenile detention seven times before the age of 18, hopping on a plane with a one-way plane ticket, all I could fit in a duffel bag and a $50 bill, one-way plane ticket to Florida, uh, I... When I got on that plane, subconsciously, I killed the person I was born to be, which was either a criminal because of my juvenile detention history or a banker because my father and grandfather were bankers. I didn't want either one of those. And and 
almost a post-mortem, not that I'm dead yet, but of that creating of my own reality. For example, Aspire, I wrote from a treehouse. Seven of my eight books I wrote from my treehouse office that I worked out of for 20 years. And it allowed me to kind of create my own reality from this beautiful setting overlooking the ocean. And I realized in turn, when as I was creating a reality for me that allowed me to build some of the most expensive spec houses in the entire world, the most expensive spec house we ever built, Travis, was a $50 million house on speculation, meaning I built it without a buyer in mind. Being an eight-time best-selling author, running the Badwater Ultra Marathon, the toughest foot race in the world, according to National Geographic, uh, 12 times, finishing at seven, having a wonderful family. Like these were aspirations that I set long ago, some of them subconscious. That had, that had come to reality. So why not help others create the, the reality they want? And in turn, if you, that, that statement's a little bold, you know, kill the person you're born to be, become the person you want to be. If the person you were born to be, you're satisfied with, then you can discard that statement. There's other chapters in the book that will be completely applicable. But I find so many people uh, have benefited from that. As you started the podcast, motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap at night. That's why there's a multi-billion dollar industry built around motivation by the gurus out there because they know what we don't know, which is motivation doesn't, doesn't maintain. We don't generate internally vitamin M, which stands for motivation. We count on little quips that you read on Facebook or you know these short little montages that help us stay motivated. Well, we can't. So quit beating yourself up over the fact that you can't stay motivated. And this is applicable to the people that go to your gyms, Travis. They can't stay motivated. I'm going to get to the good part in a second. So, so, so if motivation washes off the drain, washes off the soap and goes down the drain with the soap at night, be kind to yourself. Realize that's just the way humans were wired. You mentioned inspiration. You can read an inspirational book, watch an inspirational movie. That inspiration will last about as long as a bad sunburn, maybe a week, two weeks. Eventually it dissipates, wears off. I found that aspiration, these are these otherworldly uh, 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 goals and dreams that are like the Fabergé egg that you put on a pedestal and you, you, you aspire to these daily. You may not be motivated to get there to the gym daily or inspired daily, but if your aspiration is to live a healthier lifestyle, you will... Use motivation and inspiration to ignite these this this DNA altering aspiration. Wow, wow, boy, you said so many good things there. You know, for our listeners, I know that we have a lot of fitness enthusiasts, but I loved how you even brought epigenetics in because a lot of times people will say, "Oh, that's just that's just their nature; they were born that way." But we have the opportunity; it's scientific that we can influence our nature. Our nature that's really good. And uh, yeah, you're right. That is a bold statement. Kill the person you're born to be. Well, if you've been blaming your nature, it's time to kill that person. Uh, so then you can become who you always wanted to be, right? Is that how, how did I quote it correctly? Exactly. So, so while, while we're on that first part of the book, the first part of Aspire introduces the, the, the concept, the thesis that, that you can indeed create your own reality and alter your DNA through aspiration, not motivation or inspiration. In that first section, there's five chapters, and there's chapter two, and, and at the end of the book, chapter, I think, 28, there's two chapters in the book that are posed in the form of a question. What legacy 
do you aspire to leave behind mm. is the is the title of the chapter two now i put that at the beginning first because i wanted people to ponder that all the way through to the end of the book to, to the 30th chapter or the 25th chapter um and think about that for a second now, if you're listening or watching it's a little morbid what legacy do you aspire to leave behind you almost have to think about okay i'm no longer here uh, what what is it that i'm going to leave behind um, what, what mark or scar on, on the world are you going to leave behind? It's a very important question because most of us, if you, if you dig to the to kind of the bottom of that question, most of us want immortality. And if you leave a legacy, you actually got immortality. You've left something behind after you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it said this way that a, a man or woman will suffer two deaths. And that is one, the day that they die. And then two the last day that a person speaks your name you know as your memory continues to live on you know that there's two deaths right you know when the world forgets about you right if you leave a strong enough legacy you will live on for a long time yeah yeah and, and that 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 speaks a little bit to the ego a little bit to the unhealthy side of ego i would say I, you can leave a legacy by by leaving a beautiful herb garden it doesn't mean you have to you know cure cancer uh mm -hmm. and, and i get into the different definite well it's your definition of legacy it's not mine yeah but to help you answer that question what legacy do you aspire to leave behind as you ponder that because that's a tough one you scratch your head i ask in that same chapter to help you get there who do you aspire to emulate mm. who is it that you if you could sample i don't mean copy we're not copying anybody but if you could sample little parts of their DNA and absorb them into your person, your uniqueness, who would they be? And as I shared five of mine, you know, I said, here's where the, here, here were the entities. I say entities because they weren't all real people. There were some fictional characters that actually influenced who I became. And, and that is a really fun part of the exercise, answering the question, what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? That's challenging, but who do you aspire to emulate is a lot more fun. So for me, I'll give you a couple of examples that one, one is fictional, Willy Wonka. So, so when I was growing up, both versions of the movie, you know, the one that came out when I was a kid and, you know, eight years old and then the other Johnny Depp version, I, I was asked by Forbes magazine, what's the best business book you ever read? And I said, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because the frenzy, the 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 monomaniacal focus on getting that golden ticket was created by a marketer who sold hundreds of thousands of and I know it's a fictional story but sold sold hundreds of thousands of chocolate bars by driving that 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 desire to get the golden ticket I mean what a brilliant marketer he he mixed exclusivity he mixed eccentricity you know he he, he mixed quality creativity. And look at, I mean, if, if, if that was a real business, think of all the money that Willy Wonka was making as people were tearing open those. So I thought, as I'm building a product, an oceanfront home that only 50,000 people out of about 8 billion could afford, why don't you sprinkle in a little bit of exclusivity, a little bit of eccentricity, a little bit of creativity to create the demand, the line around the corner demand for your product. And I, I've built 44 oceanfront homes in 30 years. so. It's not like I built a lot of product, mm -hmm. but, but that put it, getting in touch with Willy Wonka, Robin Hood was another one on my list, another fictional character 
we've built 30 self-sustaining villages in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, that being Haiti, over the last 20 years. So I loved the concept as a young boy of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Now I get to, I don't steal from the rich, but I sell to them and I take the proceeds and I'm able to provide a self-sustaining existence to over 13,000 children in Haiti. So I get to be a modern day Robin Hood. One of my aspirational characters that I helped me leave the legacy that will be me, it won't be my oceanfront homes, Travis, it'll be what we've done in Haiti. That part of that, that section of the book is really a lot of fun. And I hope people enjoy answering that question, who do you aspire to emulate? Wow. No, that's really good. I was going to uh, to ask you for that exercise because I know some people, uh, you know, when you ask somebody what legacy they want to leave, you know, maybe they're they're going to go towards a tombstone statement uh, exercise or, you know, they're going to write their own eulogy. But this is good. I'd like to zero in on that word emulate because emulate is, as you said, different than imitate. Emulate means to surpass, right? Like we could actually identify somebody where we see greatness, right? The greatness that you see in others is the greatness that you see in yourselves. So identifying that somebody, but then you don't have to be limited by their greatness. You could surpass that if you emulate it. You know, so. that's, that's perfectly said, Travis. Imagine on, on that topic of who do you aspire to emulate? Imagine you're walking down the beach and ahead of you is one of those people. And, and you're gonna put, I'm gonna put my footsteps exactly in their footsteps to a point where you deviate, you pass them, you go in another direction. But for the few moments that you were stepping in their footsteps and you were imagining that some of their DNA was yours, you did just that. You absorbed some of the Willy Wonka or the Evil Knievel or the you know uh, Robin Hood into your person, and then you went with your true individual, you know, your individuality into a different and better direction. That's really good, really good. So there's five sections of this book, and. And, you know, since we are talking about uh, that first, well, since we're talking about aspiration, you gave us a analogy, if you will, that Fabergé egg. And I'm assuming that you're going to tell us, but I did want to kind of zero in on that as well and highlight that part. Is aspiration something that we should find a way to keep in front of us all the time? I mean, like, like an egg on the mantle, you know? Aspirations are sacred. If you don't know what the Fabergé egg is, you know, look it up. These are aspirations are these sacred endeavors that are pursued that allow you to kind of create this otherworldly passion for your purpose replay that that's exactly what an aspiration is so so for me i aspire if i step back like I, by the time this comes out i'll be 60 and uh, june 28th is my birthday for those of you who want to give me a birthday present, buy a spire. You just provided 100 meals to our orphanages in Haiti. We'll get into that later. But um, I aspire to only five things in my life so far. Five things. Mm -hmm. Become a best-selling author when I left high school with a 1.8 GPA. Okay, how is that possible? Now I've written eight books. I aspire to be a real estate artist. What does that mean, Frank? Well... I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, I can't sculpt, and I can barely paint. But I loved artistry. I now build three-dimensional art that people can live in. That is an aspiration that can never be taken away from me. Best-selling author, never taken away from me. Some of these aspirations, people would call overnight successes, took me 25 years to attain. 
as you said, that Fabergé egg, that sacred aspiration was in front of me every single day. Was I motivated to, to, to pursue the training for the Badwater Ultramarathon, which was the third of my aspirations? Finish the toughest foot race in the world, according to National Geographic. No, I wasn't motivated to do it. Did I ever hit the snooze button? Probably. Did I lose inspiration to get out there and train? I failed to finish five of my 12 attempts. But that aspiration to finish the toughest foot race in the world never, never left me. The fourth one, to run a charity in, in a poor country. Uh, I, I just wanted to do it. And I found that Haiti being the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, 20 years ago, we started our Caring House Project Foundation. I aspired to do that you know, for many years. I finally did it 20 years ago. And now 20 years later, that aspiration has built 30 villages and cared for over 13,000 children. They're eating dirt, flavored with bouillon and lemon juice. So you can see over time, over time, these aspirations, but they are always, they're always on that, that, that pedestal. They might not always be forefront of mind because you always don't look at your pedestal, but they're there. And the fifth one was to have a, a family. I, I, you know, my family, I had a family. I was, I was in a family. My family was a little messed up. I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to be there for my children. I only ended up having one child, but I walked her to school every single day from pre-K to eighth grade. 1,652 consecutive times. So those five aspirations that, that I had set many, many years ago, they're not goals. These are otherworldly endeavors that will alter the DNA. I can say that those aspirations, while there's some of them are still there, like I'm not done with all of those. I'll still probably write another book. I'll maybe finish another bad water, build another house, won't have another kid, but I'll still be in a good dad. And we'll build other villages in Haiti. You build on those aspirations, you keep building on them, building on them, and then eventually you turn around and you say, okay, well, maybe one of those five or all of those five are, are my legacy. Mm -hmm. Really good. Really good. I, I love that. I love that. So there's five total sections to the book, five total sections. Can you uh, break them down for us? We just kind of went over the first one, which is the introduction of the concept of aspiration over motivation and inspiration and how to get there. Five chapters on how to kind of embrace that concept. The second section deals with fear. Fear. The, the, the title of the section is fear. I'm sorry, risk equals fear equals big change or challenge. So we touched a little bit on this. Maybe, maybe it was in the, no, we didn't do this in adverse intelligence. We did it on, in the book club a little bit. So the biggest impediment through your entire life to you attaining one of these otherworldly passions for your purpose, these aspirations, is going to be fear. Five chapters in that section that help you understand that fear is your friend. Helps you understand that when you have, when you think about taking a risk by pursuing one of your aspirations, physical, financial, relational, spiritual aspirations, the next four-letter word after risk that's going to enter the mind is fear. Hmm? And, and that's what stops so many people from even pursuing day one, let alone in my case, day, you know, year 20 of their aspirations. Please understand this, this concept about fear. And there's a lot of acronyms out there about fear. And, and they're all very good. When you contemplate taking a risk in the pursuit of an aspiration and you feel fear, you're feeling fear because of the thought the thought of taking a risk, not the actual taking of the risk. 
when you think about fill in the blank, one of your aspirations, mine, let's say running, running the Badwater 100, 135 miles or marathon, how, who, who in the world could possibly run 135 miles across a Death Valley desert in the middle of summer? A nonstop. I mean, that's, I'm terrified of that thought. But others have done it. Others have written books. Others have had great families. Others have built villages. I mean, uh, okay, so let's kind of sample a little of those DNAs and, and then understand that, Frank, that when you're, uh, when you're feeling fear associated with a, a risk, those risks are almost always associated with a big change or a big challenge in your life. You have two choices. Don't pursue it. And I haven't pursued all of my, my risk, by the way. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you choose not to because it's prudent. But, but we're all going to have regrets in life, Travis. And I want to regret what I did. I do not want to regret what I didn't do. And it, case in point would be the bad water. Yes, I finished at seven, but I, I don't regret failing five times. I, I, I would regret not trying those five times. Right. So, so please understand that. And, and for those of you who are visual like me, picture getting into a roller coaster. You've all ridden roller coaster. And you get into that car when it leaves the stand, the station, and that metal bar clanks across your waist. And you start hearing that car go up the hill. Your heart's ready to blow out of your chest because you're terrified at the thought of what is about to happen. But you're safe. You're, you're sitting in your car. The metal bar is across your waist. What, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of the thought of the risk you're about to take. What happens when the car goes over the top of the first hill and starts that first descent? Fear is instantly replaced with jubilation and joy, and we throw our hands in the air, and we you know, scream, and we're having a good time. That's how life goes. That's especially in business, maybe getting into the gym. Once you do it, once you ride that roller coaster, that first aspiration, what do you do after the ride? ride's over? You get off the ride and you go and you do it again because the fear's gone. Yeah. Right? You know, I'm sure my mind works this way, given the fact that our franchise has the Phoenix as part of the logo and so does the Overcomers podcast. But I feel like twice in this podcast, you know, we're encouraged to rise above our nature, you know, those genetics that you were given, whatever that situation was. And again, uh, at Journey, we had this shirt where fear could either stand for forget everything and run or face everything and rise, right? And, and so like, this is this is the call to rise up to your aspirations right here, you know? Uh, and and be really okay. Like, I, Travis, when I'm afraid, I know I'm on the right track. I'm afraid every day of my life, okay? So I haven't mastered fear. You never master fear. You shouldn't master fear. Fear is a wonderful guide in life. And, and, and so, you know, if in that, in that section, there's a chapter that, that is titled, R period, I period, S period, K period, risk, requires intense self-knowledge. Take risk. That whole chapter will kind of break down your personality and determine what your impediments are to taking that risk. And, and, and finally, we're not going to do all five chapters. Um, don't change. You can't change. You're not going to change. You're going to redirect, you're going to reignite what's inside. That's the title of chapter eight or nine. Don't change, redirect. You can't. The way you were built and wired mentally, psychologically, was formed by the age of four to 10, according to psychiatrists. So you, everybody listen to this, unless you're under the age of 10, you're not changing. But you can redirect or reignite something that 
reignite something that's inside or redirect, in my case and in your case, Travis, self-destructive tendency into something constructive, a self-destructive lifestyle into something constructive. And yeah. while you're doing this, so while you're doing all of this, because I'm a simpleton, I'm a linear thinker, 1.8 GPA, not that bright. I apply what's called in the last uh, chapter, chapter uh, 10 in that section, relentless forward motion. Relentless. So in my bad water race, for example, am I running a 10-minute mile? Did some, oh, no. I mean, I might do 20 10-minute miles during that race. There, there are some miles that have taken me over an hour. But I'm relentlessly, I had to crawl across the finish line one time, crab crawling. Wow. So you know what crab crawling is, right? Your feet Sorry. are down and, you, and your head's up. I had to do that because I had, was so dehydrated. I, my, my blood was so thick that it wasn't pushing the blood through my veins to my head. And if I stuck my head down like that, I, was pass, I had passed out already a couple of times. So I literally, to keep my head up and I couldn't, I had no more energy, I crab crawled across the finish line relentless forward motion in the pursuit of your aspirations relentless forward motion you know i want to ask you about that uh, that don't change redirect is that another way to say you know killing that person you were born to be so you can become that person you're meant to be because really when you involved epigenetics in there you, you know you're challenging us to not accept maybe a, a fate but to ignite uh things that are inside us and pursue them right you know to rise to that that true calling is that how those two might go together exactly and i want to make it easy because how many gurus if you listen to and i'm not knocking any I, you know I, I love them all i've listened to them all i get something from all of them but how many times is the word change mentioned and that is intimidating because you might change for for a week or a month but you know, it's, it's like changing your hat and thinking it's going to change your thinking or, or I'm going to change, I'm going to change my pen and it's going to change my handwriting. You know, this is not, that's not how it's going to work. So I want people to know that you don't have to change. You don't quit trying to change, become comfortable with who you are, love who you are, but do one of two things. Redirect someone who was in juvenile detention seven times, Travis, you were in prison, redirect self-destructive tendencies into something constructive. My therapist says I'm addicted to excitement. So yeah. I found a constructive outlet for a destructive tendency. I build spec houses, not knowing if I'm going to eat at Ruth Chris Steakhouse or out of a dumpster. That feeds my need for excitement. So, so you know, th that, that concept of, of not, not feeling like we have to change, redirecting, reigniting. Some people have had these wonderful aspirations suppressed over years and decades of, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse, environmental abuse, where you're brought, it's there, reignite it, and, and, and it will come alive and bring it out, and you will become the person you want to be without having to change. You know, Overcomer Nation, as Frank shares this, maybe you're thinking about a time in your life to where something got reignited. As he's sharing right now, I'm thinking about a time in my life where you know, I was about as unhealthy as you could be, locked up due to addiction, but then rediscovered a passion for fitness that had been in me since about age five, uh, you know, when I was first watching Hulk Hogan or Rocky or whatever the case might be, you know, and it was rediscovering that and reigniting that 
that allowed me to redirect into something constructive, which is a franchise that sponsors this podcast. So yeah, um, I can totally relate to what you're saying. You are a perfect walking example of that. And you, you know, you, you not only reignited Trevor, you recreated something that was in there since you were five, but you notice I'll use those rewords. You even use another one, reinvent or something, but we aren't, you don't have to change. You just quit thinking that what God made is flawed. It's perfect. It's beautiful. We just have to reignite, recreate, or redirect. That's a, that's a good that's a good call out right there. Quit thinking that what God made is flawed. You know, you don't want to insult an artist like that. That's very true. That's great. Awesome. You ready to run into the next section? I'm ready. Next section. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. So section three is titled "The Art of Personal Branding," and you'll have to, you know, forgive me. Every now and then, I'm actually looking down at, at you know the book and then i've got the table of contents in here because you know there are there's isn't that a great book cover by the way isn't that beautiful that awesome i mean that's who just the dna Don't I, we, we do a shout out to whoever did that book cover i mean that's yeah, eric hollander he does all if you look at all my book covers they're very they're very artistic you see the mind you see the dna you see the you know the altered reality you see the androgynous face like that's you and the synapses almost like firing like a soda can opening up like creating your own reality and altering your DNA. So uh, on section three is titled the art of personal branding. So now we're kind of shifting. You've you've got the concept of of Aspire. You now have gotten over the fear. Now, how can I create a personal brand that's unique and stands out? And and this this is more the case in business than if you're not in business. But but if you're not in business, you still want to be, you know, kind of unique and and be be an individual and not, not, not totally conform with with every, you know, be a lemming and shining metal boxes, as, as Sting said in that, you know, that lyric. Um, personal branding is the art of amplifying your essence to the point where your customers, either current or future, become subliminally intoxicated with you first, you first, then your product or service. You are not Apple. You are not Coca-Cola. You are not Kleenex, you are Travis Barnes. I am Frank McKinney. Uh, I am the ringmaster. I'm the carnival barker. I am the um, m- the megaphone for my brand. My my houses are not going to speak. I'm the opening act. So so to create a brand, personal brand that people become subliminally intoxicated with first, and then your product or service, then your gym, Travis. They have to believe in you and what you stand for before they're gonna buy a membership to your gym. Mm. And so that whole section, five five chapters, I'm gonna read them real quick and we'll grab one. Take an artist approach to your craft, accentuate and amplify your essence, live your inside on the outside, the definition of a healthy ego and its creativity and ingenuity that are rewarded. Let's talk about healthy ego for a minute. So to create a personal brand, um, and, and in my case, you know, we we build these oceanfront homes that, again, only 50,000 people can afford. I need to get attention for the fact that those homes are there. So we have our, if you go to my web, website, frank-mckinney.com, it's frank-mckinney.com, you can watch some of the grand unveilings, which are extremely theatrical. They're choreographed, you know, um, productions that belong in Vegas or you know Broadway but as my mom says she calls me Mickey Mickey can't you just 
put an open house sign out there and just do it like everybody else. I said, mom, you know, there's a method to the madness. I, I might be the ringmaster and, and, and the front opening act, but the true show starts when you walk in the front door of one of our houses. And that involves healthy ego. People have said, I'm a narcissist. Uh, you know, it's all about Frank and the show. Listen, I wouldn't be here 30 plus years later talking to you about 44 oceanfront homes if I was all flash and all sizzle. It's the flash and the sizzle that gets your attention, and it's the, the substance of what I write in my books or what the houses represent that keep you coming back for more 30-plus years later. And that involves healthy ego, which is defined as the following. And see if you check these boxes. Believing your best, one of the best, one of the best, not the best, believing you're, you're one of the best in the world at what you do. So, Travis, you and your wife are certainly one of the best in the world, and not only this podcast that you operate, but your gyms. And the masterminds, you are one of the best, or else you wouldn't be where you are today. So check the box. Okay. Having, having an other, let me, let me, actually I put that, that's the second one. The first one is have an otherworldly passion for your purpose. Mm -hmm. Having an otherworldly passion for your purpose. Now, for those of you who don't know what the purpose is, the first chapters help you identify that. You're going to identify what your passion is overrated. Let me tell you this right now. I'm such a passionate. You can have passion for chocolate and it's not good for you. What's your purpose? Having an otherworldly purpose for your passion. You and your wife do for the gyms and for the Overcomers podcast. Believing you're one of the best in the world at what you do. Check, check. The third one, and this is where most people fall off. You can't be afraid to tell the world about it. Mm. You cannot succumb to the fear associated with being your own carnival barker, your own megaphone. Because how in the world are they going to know about your gyms? How are they going to know about your Overcomers podcast without you believing the first two things and then sharing that fact with the world? If I told you, listeners and viewers or Travis, that you have a really, really good, strong self-esteem, your self-esteem is just wonderful. You'd feel good about yourself. But if I told you you had a big ego, you'd feel horrible. Why is that? I mean, why is it that ego gets a bad rap? If you have an unhealthy ego, you can name somebody, you can look at somebody as an unhealthy ego. You know, think they're the best in the world at this. And they, you know, they're, 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 they're all flashing no substance. Politicians come to mind when you, when, when you want to pick on somebody. Sure. But, but that's, you check those three boxes. You have a healthy ego. It will help you establish that personal brand that is, Frank McKinney, Travis Barnes, and as you, the, the listener viewer. You know, I want to highlight that otherworldly. You know, what came to mind is uh, there's a Picasso quote where he talks about that when he went into his studio, he'd leave his body at the door. And it was just to be so uh, intensely moved by your purpose that you do. There's no clock watching with this, right? That's just like, you know, I'm into it, right? Um, you know, are you in the studio or are you into it? Right. Um, so when you say otherworldly, that's what comes to my mind. Like, what do you want the, the reader to understand when it's like having that uh, have an otherworldly passion for your purpose? Your purpose. Yeah. So. This takes a lot of going back to the prior chapter requires intense self-knowledge. It takes a lot of introspection for you to understand what is my purpose? Like what what? Not what was I put on this earth to do? What am I on this earth to do? What am I going to, what, 
what is my aspiration? What is my legacy? <laughs> so otherworldly is another, like a synonym would be outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Or most people would never contemplate this. It's just, you know, I want to, I want to run the toughest foot race in the world, yet I've never run a half marathon. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, you'll sit down and when you do that chapter or when you do that section, you'll identify the definition of to you what otherworldly is and passion for your purpose. Passion cannot stand alone. It's got to, it's got to be accompanied with purpose. Mm-hmm. No, really. And the, the last thing I want to talk about in that section real quick. Don't be afraid to live your inside on the outside. It really helps you to identify what your personal brand is. So, I, you know, when I was younger I, and just getting into real estate, I remember people showing up at our early showings when I was doing 100 houses under 100 grand and, and thinking, you know, what are you, the maintenance worker? Are you the pool boy? Like, what, you know, who, who, what are you? Where's Frank McKinney? And, and at one point, I was intimidated by those responses and I went to, uh, Brooks Brothers, I think. I got a suit. I went to get a normal haircut. I got a maroon tie. And there's a story in the book about how I, I compromised who I was. Like I sold out. And I, I remember how dirty I felt after the first time I went to a showing looking like, you know, just some clone of a real estate person. And I, I went to 7-Eleven and I took off that jacket and I took off the ugly maroon tie, I gave it to the clerk. I bought a large, like extra large Slurpee. I sat down on this bench and said, never again, never again will I compromise, co-opt or sell out who I am for anyone or anything. And that goes for relationships. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to live my inside, who I am on the outside proudly. And Travis, I'm telling you, you go back and look at the Wall Street Journal, the you know USA Today, the real estate rock star, the, the risk-taking developer, the daredevil developer. That, that was all a result of me not being afraid to live my inside on the outside. Really good. Live your inside on the outside. That is a great quote right there. I love that. Chapter now, 13. Chapter 13. That's, a, that's the title of chapter 13. I, I think that uh, there's too many that uh, refuse to be unapologetically themselves, right? And, you know, there's a great book. In fact, there's like 66 of them all put together. But there's this one that was written by this guy, Matthew. And uh, he said uh, that we're the salt of the earth. And what flavor uh, do we have if we lose our salt, right? And I think that that's what we're talking about right there, you know? So really good. Yeah. And I tell you, you know, when you and I were growing up, it was harder to do that. Like it was a lot more... um, it was frowned upon if, if you didn't look the part. Today, there's, I mean, it, it's, you, we live in a society where this should be easier. Like everything's accepted. You can be who you are. You know, it's easier today to be, to live your inside on the outside than when I was 25 years old, 30 sure. years old. Oh my God. I mean, I show up, I give a talk to the Harvard Business Club and I had, at the time I had really long blonde hair. I mean, you know, I had half the room, like get up and walk out before I said the first word. <laughs> right. Right. You know, think about that for a second. Boy, what did they miss out on? They missed out on maybe somebody that could help them inspire their own authenticity, or maybe they'd inspire, which would be even better. Um, so uh, section four then. Section four. All right. So remember, we said there's five sections. Yes. If the five sections were at a cocktail party and they were standing around with a drink in their hand, the first three section and the fifth section would be off in a corner by themselves, gossiping and talking about how the fourth section didn't belong. Because the fourth (laughs) section is about your love life. 
It's about how to love life and or through your love life. I realized, and I took a chance. Like there was times this section was on the cutting room floor. Like I wasn't going to have five, four sections. I wasn't going to get into this. But I realized that there's a, the, the, the very first chapter in this section, chapter 16, the significance of a significant other. You have no idea, or maybe you do, how significant a significant other will, what role that person will play in your success in life. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, this primarily speaks to romantic relationships, not necessarily all relationships, but it would apply to, you know, business relationships. But that significant other, I I've been married 33 years and I felt it, I am qualified to give relationship advice. I'll say so. You, uh, you, I, congratulations. That's awesome. Really good. It, you know, it's not my thing. It's I'm not a relationship expert, but I, I step back and said, Frank, you know, again, there's the fear. Frank, what, you, what do you know about relationships? Don't, don't include that in the book. Oh, if it wasn't for me being able to marry, this is chapter 17, marry my guardian angel. I got to marry. I got to marry my guardian angel. And that chapter kind of shows you how to find that person. So if it wasn't for my wife, Nilsa, I would be living in, no indictment on West Virginia, but I'd probably be living in West Virginia in a trailer park, smelling like motor oil, spitting tobacco, married to the bearded lady in the circus. Because she just was my guardian angel. She saved me from myself. She saved me from my own free will sometimes. So, you know, if that's the kind of person you want in your life, well, chapter 17 teaches you how to do that. And then this is something I know you can relate to. Chapter 18, relationship pressure. The, The forces that are at work under the crust of the earth that takes the minerals, takes the sand, takes the rocks and crushes them does one of two things. It, it, it does just that, it pulverizes the raw material or through pressure creates the diamond. Through pressure is what creates the diamond. So in a relationship, relationship pressure can destroy the union or in our case, create the diamond. What that chapter talks about is how to invite healthy conflict in your life, in your relationship. Because that healthy conflict which is defined by respect each respecting each other's opinions and positions during conflict, that healthy conflict creates the diamond of the relationship. Yeah. The unhealthy conflict will destroy the union. So we invite conflict into our lives. My wife and I work together, just like you and your wife. That's, man, that's dangerous. I'm there coming up with the grand plans and all the designs, and my wife does the interior. She does the furnishings. Because our houses are sold fully furnished, down to the gold-plated toothbrush in the bathroom, linens on the beds, towels in the closets, and even you know sometimes cars in the garage. You can imagine the the the, the volcanic eruptions that we've had in our discussions. I'm sure you've had them too. But we do it with respect, and in the end, we've created a diamond in our daughter. We've created 44 oceanfront diamonds. We've created 20 you know villages in Haiti, 30 villages in Haiti. You know, so so when when you're in a relationship learn it's going to have conflict and that chapter teaches you how to invite conflict into your relationship to create the diamond yeah that's really good that's a really good visual you know i don't even know if i've ever told my wife this but it's when she challenges me maybe i'm not as balanced as i should be with our home life or 
or maybe it even has some something to do with the way that I'm thinking about our business. And then like, I may not be ready to receive it at the time. So it may be a, a bit of butting heads and that kind of thing. But then later I look and I say, well, that woman saved my life a couple of times, <laughs> literally. And, and there's nobody that I love and respect more than her. So let me think about what she said. And then in that comes the diamond, because then I become a better leader, a better business owner, a better husband, a better father, you know. Uh, so I can totally relate to that analogy that you just gave us. That's a really good one. A great way to think about relationship. Relationship pressure. Under pressure, diamonds are created. Very good. That's right. And, and, and that's why this section um, is so important. And unless... I mean, nobody goes through life alone. I don't care if you want to live alone. You're going to have to have to learn how to have relationships. Maybe they're not all romantic. And as I said, this, this section applies to platonic relationships. Business relationships is primarily written for romantic relationships. But, you know, when you get to that section, if you're not, if you're not following Travis and I and our belief that, you know, there is a significance to a significant other in your life, chapter 16, I purposely, and we're not going to get into this, but I purposely, in chapter uh, 20, <laughs> is titled, Oh, comma, and give mind-blowing sex. Ah. So it talks. It's like I just dropped something. Hold on a second. <laughs> I know people who have bought the book just because of that title of that chapter. For sure. We need an instruction manual sometimes. For well, these here's, here's, <laughs> I'm going to say one or two sentences about it. Having sex can be selfish. Giving sex can be unselfish. And it teaches you how to be unselfish with your sex life. And we'll leave it at that. I, I want you to read that part. That's great. That's great. All right. We'll bring us home to section five. Section five is titled... From rich to enriched, to whom much is given, much is required. So, so by this time, you know, you've gone through 20 chapters. You've got the concept of aspiration over motivation and inspiration. You, you understand how to take risks now, even when you're feeling afraid. You, you, can you create a personal brand. You understand the importance of a, a relationship in your life. Now, I want to move you from rich, assuming that you're in business, to enriched, because that's what really matters. And there, the five chapters in this section, I'm just read them really quickly. What's your highest calling? It's not a question, but it's titled Your Highest Calling. Compassion without action is a waste of emotion. Philanthropapitalism, mm -hmm. exclamation point. What's your Hebrews 13, 2 story? And with aspiration, you will change the world. I'm going to go through them one more time. Travis, you pick out one you want to talk about. Your highest calling. Compassion without action is a waste of emotion. Philanthrocapitalism, your Hebrews 13.2 story, share your Hebrews 13.2 story, and with aspiration, you will change the world. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really like that quote, um, compassion without action is a waste of emotion. Many of us uh, will go through our, our daily routine and we'll see something that maybe we have compassion on and we'll say something about it. But uh, to me, it sounds like the title of that section is to do something about it. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, if you, if you notice something, how about how about some action in that area? Right. It pretty simple that, that we, we, we can expound upon. But you're right. I just find so many people that, that you know, might watch the news and they see something horrible and they, there's a text, the Red Cross, 10 bucks. They won't even do that. You know, my, my, my feeling is 
If you if you have compassion, compassion, act on it. If not, you've wasted the emotion. You might as well just go to the movies. You know, you have the emotion of, of laughter if you're watching a comedy. At least you're getting your money's worth. You know, you're 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 acting on that emotion. But if you feel compassion, like I have for the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and if I were just to feel that and do nothing about it, I've wasted the emotion. So to, so take action with it, and and that that follows the chapter that teaches you how to find your highest spiritual your spiritual highest calling. Most people. And most of the podcast interviews I've done, we've, we've focused on, you know, the mansions and, you know, how I went from a $50,000 crack house to a $50 million mansion and how to be a real estate millionaire. Well, what's it all for? That's the, that's the way we bring this book home. What's it all for? Frank, you found your professional highest calling. Travis, you found yours. Many of the listeners and viewers have found theirs. I challenge you, what's your spiritual highest calling? Mm-hmm. You have one. I didn't know that until I was ready to jump off a bridge in the early 2000s. I was on top of the world in my real estate career. I just sold the most expensive spec house in the history of Palm Beach County. Yet I was so depressed that I was thinking about ending it. I had all the cars in my garage, clothes in my closet, and food in my pantry that, that you can imagine, but I lost all the heart in my soul. I went to my mentor and asked him, his name was Rich DeVos, the co-founder of Amway. You know, he was the 65th richest person in the world when he died. He was my mentor for many years. I said, Rich, why do I feel this way? I mean, I don't curse, but why do I feel like shit? I feel terrible. And, well, I just curse, but that's the only time I curse on the whole podcast. And he said, Frank, you found your what you do for a living. He called it your professional highest calling. He says, where's your spirit? Where, what's your spiritual highest calling? And it was such a foreign concept to me. And he said to me, Frank, you, you know, I know you're, you're a pretty simple guy, you know, not much education. You provide housing to the rich. Why don't you think about what to do for the poor, the, the poor people who don't have houses? Okay. I mean, that just really just stuck with me. So we started our Caring House project in 1998 uh, that was buying houses that were distressed here in the United States, renovating them, and instead of selling them, renting them for a buck a month to elderly homeless people because old people die in the streets quicker than young people that are homeless. And then we moved that mission over to Haiti, and I've mentioned how many villages we've done. So so in the end, and you've gone through this whole book with this, this focus on you know my aspiration, but in the end, what's it all for? You know, back to that, what legacy do you leave behind? I told you there was two, two chapters posed in the form of a question. Chapter 24, what's your Hebrews 13, 2 story? So don't let this turn you off because I just referenced a Bible passage. If you're not into the Bible, just think of this as a great life mantra. Okay? If you're atheist, agnostic, Hindu, Muslim, Jew, think of it as a great life mantra. Hebrews 13, 2 says, be sure to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Pretty simple concept. You know, be kind to the invisible, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the lowly. And an example would be you're at Denny's restaurant and you get a, 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 you know, you get your meal. Don't just leave a tip. Go back to the kitchen and leave the short order cook five bucks. I travel a lot with my books. We just finished a 26 city, 27 day tour for adversitology. Every single morning I left a hotel room. I took the stationery, left a note, thank you for the cleanest room I've ever stayed in, a copy of my book, and a, like a $10 bill. Every single time. I've taught my, my daughter does that now. These little tiny things, these, these Hebrews 13, two stories. So what's really cool and inspire is I let the reader write that chapter. I asked a bunch of people when I was on a pre-release tour for Aspire to share an instance where they showed hospitality to a stranger, and to them, it was an angel in disguise. 
oh my god it's my favorite chapter because it's written by you the reader and and everybody in there christian hindu muslim jew atheist or agnostic can relate to that concept wow and that's a great concept if you get nothing else from this podcast today take action on one of those ideas that frank just gave i mean and, and you know you just can't help another without helping yourself there's no way you're not going to walk away from that you know feeling better about who you are as you know one of these spiritual beings traveling through this uh planet having a human experience um you know frank so thank you so much how do they uh it feeds a hundred people if you buy the book it feeds a hundred people in haiti how do they get the book so what i would suggest that you do is go to the aspirebook.com it's really a, a domain that's housed on my website but go to the aspirebook.com and there's free chapter there's a free audible chapter to listen to. There's reviews there. There's what the Aspire Tour was all about. Where we swap places with homeless people in all these cities. Do all that. And then you can buy it from us where I autograph it. Or you can buy it from Amazon. We, are, we, we self-publish this under the Caring House Books logo, the, the, the publishing house, so we make more money. Now, I, I actually bought back the rights to all my books, so we make the Caring House. I make no money from my books, by the way. I made all my money in real estate. One book, 100 meals in one of our orphanages or villages in Haiti theaspirebook.com and you can basically decide whether or not everything Travis and I talked about is for you in the form of 25 chapters and five sections. Well, there it is. Go create your own re reality, alter your DNA, have an aspiration that will not only impact your life forever, but in turn the, the lives of your loved ones. Frank McKinney, thank you for being such a great guest. Thank you again for coming on this show. I appreciate you. Travis, thank you. And remember, with aspiration, you can change the world. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah, overcomer!